Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Hi, and welcome back to The Stacks, a podcast about books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and this week for The Stacks Book Club, we are discussing Nobel Prize winner Toni Morrison's debut novel, The Bluest Eye. And Renee Hicks, founder of Book Girl Magic, is back with us again to help unpack all the layers of this classic novel. But first, I want to say a huge thank you to all of you. It's the day before Thanksgiving here in America, and it would be insane of me not to thank this wonderful community for all that we've built here at The Stacks. From sharing the show with your friends, to posting about us on social media, to sending me messages and letting me know what you thought of the show, I have just loved creating this show and getting to know so many of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Did you read The Bluest Eye along with us? Do you want a space to talk with other readers about the book and all of the books we discuss on the stacks? Then join us over on Patreon. Patreon is a website that allows you, the listener, to contribute to the show in exchange for perks. One of our perks is a virtual book club where we discuss the books from the podcast with each other. If you're interested in joining the fun, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. The stacks would be impossible without the stacks pack. So again, thank you. If a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can do one-time donations over at PayPal. Go to paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Supporting our sponsors supports this show. So does shopping through the links in the show notes before you buy on Amazon. The Stacks earns a small commission on these purchases, and it comes at no cost to you, so it's a total win-win. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, can you just take a moment to rate and review the show? We'd be so grateful. Okay. I'm so excited. It's time to talk about the classic American novel, The Bluest Eye. It's written by Nobel Literature Prize winner and icon, Toni Morrison. This week, we do have spoilers, so pause now if you haven't listened. Read the book, come back, and enjoy this conversation with Renee Hicks about this powerhouse of a book. All right, everybody, we are back this week again with the amazing Renee Hicks of Book Girl Magic. And we, oh, hi. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's me. I never give anyone time to say hello. Um, We're talking this week for the Stacks Book Club about The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, her debut novel. Yes. Um, The book, oh, so if you haven't read the book, we're going to spoil it this week. We're going to go all in. So (laughs) if you haven't read it yet, 
and you think you might want to read it, pause this, come back later because it is a really good book and you should want to read it and you should read it and you don't want us to spoil it for yes. you. So read it. Um, and now if you're still listening, that means you've read the book. Yay. Good on you. Mm-hmm. And you know what it's about, but just in case it's about, um, blackness yes. and beauty and gender and life as a young black girl. Um, and what that means, basically. Right. I mean, it's 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 kind of narrated by a girl named Claudia, and it the our main character is Pacola. Right. Um, and let's just jump in. What did you think? I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was my first Toni Morrison read. Let me let me say that. Um, so I absolutely loved her writing style, and I wasn't sure what to expect from this book at all. I don't even think that I really read. The description first before reading it so I just kind of dove in but I was pleasantly surprised um just gave it lots of emotion coming through this mm-hmm. book which was unexpected for me I didn't know what to expect from Tony so um I, I did I really enjoyed it what about you would you I really liked it too yeah. I often um I've read a lot of classics uh white classics mm-hmm. And I usually am like, this is boring and blah and gotta go. And so I always get anxious when I read classics, black classics, because I'm like, am I not going to like this? Am I not going to understand it? Because right. like when I read Pride and Prejudice, I was like, this is garbage. Like, and I I've, just asked you about that book. Oh, and I, I was told like, you, should I read no. that or just go yeah, to the remix? Yeah. No, thanks. Um, <laughs> but like I just couldn't relate to it and I didn't care. And it, also that comes from like a time earlier like more before than the 70s mm-hmm. but still I really love this book I felt like um her writing is amazing I can't believe it's a debut novel like imagine yes. if you also published your first book right and you're like yeah I, I wrote a book it... it came out on the same day as Toni Morrison's like right good luck loser yeah <laughs> <laughs> never heard of that person because their book wasn't as good right um so yeah and I I felt like she is tackling like complex form with the book and she's like moving between narrators and mm-hmm. season and flashback and flash forward. And like, there's so much, um, lot that happens. yeah, there's a lot mm-hmm. and it's really done well. I mean, obviously it's a debut novel and I'm sure when I read her other stuff, which I've never that I'll find more and you know, everyone loves beloved. So maybe, I know. you know, I've maybe, owned that for a while too. And yeah, just... me too. Never touched it. So, but for me, I'm glad I started here because yes. I really like this book, and I'm like, there's all if she only goes up from here, like this is great. Yeah. Um. So one of the main themes in this book is beauty and womanness and blackness versus whiteness. Yep. And she really, what the book does that's really powerful is that she dances around the same themes over and over and gets at them from different angles right. and in different ways. Absolutely. Sorry. Um, one of the main, like one of the first times we see Morrison start to grapple with beauty is with Claudia, our kind of narrator and her like white baby dolls and Shirley Temple and how that's everybody right. loves Shirley Temple. And she kind of like goes on this tangent about mutilating dolls. What did you think of that part? And that I, now that I remember the, the cup, the Shirley Temple, they kept making references to that. And the other two girls, who was it? Pacola, Pacola and, Frida, and Frida. They yeah. love Shirley Temple and they loved these dolls or whatnot. And, and Claudia was just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not feeling this. Like, yeah. And she was like, I actually like hate these dolls. I'm like, they're cold and they're lumpy and like, they don't look like me. And why am I supposed to like this doll? Like, yeah. They totally couldn't understand either why she didn't like what's wrong with it. Yeah. And then it kind of says like kind of offhanded. I later learned to love Shirley Temple. 
but it's like even from a young age because the girls are like nine and ten they're grappling with blackness and whiteness at that age as like beauty and not beauty right and morrison throughout the book kind of uses different words like there's a part where she's describing um i believe it's in geraldine's section Mm -hmm. she's describing black people and she uses the word like funk like to get rid of their funkiness and like the funk and the funk is connected to like sex and like outdoors and it's unclean and it's like kind of this placeholder for blackness and that they need to get rid of it. And it's kind of like this searing indictment on, you know, um, assimilation really. And she kind of plays with these, these different ways of showing what the white gaze has done to black people's appreciation of their own blackness. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I feel like we're still dealing with that. Absolutely. Now. Absolutely. Um, trying to identify ourselves and, and where we fit and where we belong. And it's a lot of what Morrison wrote in these is these girls are like, where do I fit in this picture? Um, and the belonging uh, right. and, and being shamed and not, you know, being accepted. Like, who was it? Uh, Pecola got it, I think, the worst in the book of yeah. being teased and, and you know, just being throughout the book, she's just been called ugly, ugly by her parents, by everybody. I mean, from the moment she's born, her mom's like, she has nice hair, but she's ugly. She's ugly. Yeah. I'm like, your own mother. <laughs> How heartbreaking, you know, to yeah. have your own mother saying those kinds of things. And then she just couldn't catch a break. It was no. really sad. She has so, so sad. And then like, there's the pretty girl, quote unquote, Maureen, yep. who is half white. And I mean, our narrator, Claudia, is clearly the smartest person in the book. Like yeah. she gets it and she talks about how, you know, they're like all buddy buddy. And then it kind of starts like the, it's like this weird, you know, kid teasing fight that kind of breaks out between yeah. the girls. And then Cla- Maureen's basically like, well, I'm pretty and you're not like I'm cute and y'all aren't. And Claudia's like has this moment of like, I wasn't so much upset that she said it, but that it was true. And like I was more scared about what does that mean? Right. Like if she's pretty and we're not, and she's half white and we're not yeah. like what's separating. That's it. Yeah. She just, yeah. Maureen was a, was an interesting character and she, she took it there. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Claudia had a lot to, or even Pecola. And I think it was Claudia who was kind of like, why are you guys? Why do you guys like her? Like she couldn't understand. Yeah. Like what is it about this girl? Why? Why are you gravitating towards her? And um, Maureen, in a sense, what was it? Ice cream that they were yeah, going to get, and she was like, "Well, are y'all gonna buy any?" And they're, we're hoping she was gonna buy it. Right. <laughs> She's just kind of like, "Oh, well, you're on your own. I'm, you yeah. know, I'm only." And I think she only did it for Pacola because she was just being picked on, right? Yeah. Like she was. She was trying to make her feel better and. And she had just witnessed um, what Pecola had just gone through. So she was trying to make it better. But, you right. Know. And it was such a weird, like, that she tried to cozy up to her in, in like, a paternalistic way. Like, that it was like, oh, let me go help her and buy her this, yep. this ice cream to fix it. It's yeah. like, and then it's turned on him so quick yeah with the quickness like hey no I'm not she was cool like don't forget <laughs> yeah don't forget i'm rich and i'm, I'm half better white. than you yeah, yeah i'm better than you yeah. um and you know it, that like that whole thing the beauty and the white throughout the book throughout the book and it starts with the doll and then of course 
you know, the bluest eye, the the blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Which Wanting I, them. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. We'll save that for a little bit later. Yeah. But that that's really like the driving force in the book. Um, another part of the book that's like pretty intense is like the hatred of women in this book. It starts with the period in the beginning when Pocola gets her period and it's like they're trying to hide it. They're trying to yeah. hide it. Yeah. They're trying to hide it. Yeah. And that like it's and I think about it now and I'm like, I remember when I got my period, like that it was like an embarrassing thing. And instead of being celebrated. It, it, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, I don't know, I don't need a period party or anything. But like, <laughs> I have a friend who had a period party. Wow. Her mom threw a party for her for having her period. Oh, my God. And was like, you're staying home from school. What? You're a woman now. Like, breathe the air. You're a woman. And like, I don't know if I need all that. But. Wow. That like become like going from girl to woman is like scary and terrible in this world. Instead of celebrating. Instead of or just like acknowledged. Yeah, that's you true. know, instead of being like, cool. Right. You're here. Like, now. Okay, here we go. Like yeah. here's the chart of human. Like, we're First you're hide a baby. It, clean it up. Clean up the stair the, the, right. the porch. With, right. You know. Exactly. Yeah. And like what if like your first period was was treated similarly to like your first word or your first step, you know, where it's like, this is a milestone in your life. It's not the only milestone in your life, but it's not something like this should happen. Brush it under the rug. Like we can talk about it and be okay with it. But it does like, what is that saying to women that like becoming a woman is a bad thing Mm -hmm. or an embarrassing thing. Right. Or like now it's time to feel shame. Right. Like let's hide this. Yeah. And it's too bad. And then, you know, and that's, contrasted with Pacola's friends, the three prostitutes. Yeah, those were some interesting characters. China, Poland, and Marie. But then I didn't listen to the book. You did. Do you remember what they called her? The the Mago line? Yes. I'm trying to... I've, I can't remember. I don't know how it's pronounced, but like I think it must have been French. I don't know. I'd never heard the phrase before. No, it was close to what you said. It was okay. like Magdalene or something like that. It was... Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So the three of them and like how all, you know, they talk about how they hate men and like they didn't know they could get money for sex and that their right. mom was mad that like they why, didn't Why get aren't money. you getting? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, because they're like shrewd business women. Right. And they, you know, they're like, we never met a man that we liked. Like we hate from the Jews to the blacks to yep. the Arabs. Like, you know, I just loved them. Yes. I thought it was a great depiction of like strong womanness and like friendship i love the banter yeah between them it's like we're cutting up we're cutting jokes at you and and talking to you and um yeah and then and piccola had a lot of questions like well what does that mean like where did that guy go what happened you know she's just curious like she's just never seen anything like that so it was interesting right and they and they really loved and supported her and there was something in that their relationship with piccola that was like the really only loving relationship she truly has in the book because even though uh, Claudia and Frida are friends with her, it comes out later that they kind of used her to feel better about themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And they kind of took from her and they allowed her to be the ugliest so that they could feel Feel better. Yeah. And these other women, the prostitutes or the sex workers, Mm -hmm. they were like, no girl, like nobody likes us either. It's fine. Right. We're ugly too. We're gross too. We're, you know, tainted too. But we're going to make money off of our. Yeah. yeah. But we're also shrewd businesswomen and come hang out with us. Here's our clothes. Right. So I I did like them and they provided a little bit of levity Mm -hmm. without 
with while still driving home point right which i i mean i think that's like the complexity of morrison that she's able it's not just like a clown mm-hmm. um so the book was written in 1970 yeah which is like a lot of years ago yes, we're getting on 50 years <laughs> um do you feel like it still holds up absolutely i think there's so many women out there that deal with these kind of issues and feeling less than and um, I totally think it's relevant to what goes on today. I just, I don't think that, I think at some point we as women deal with these issues, whether it's, you know, I'm not, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm my skin complexion, my lips, whatever. I think there's, there's something about us that makes us feel insecure and that, you know, we're not as good as the next. So yeah, mm. I definitely think it's relevant. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the things that stuck out in my mind is like, this we're dealing with this right this minute. I've seen it so much in the newspaper is that black women don't feel as much pain as white women during childbirth. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? there was like, <laughs> I'm like the section where the doctor's like, you don't have to worry about her. She's like a horse. They just deliver like, you know, and, and it's up uh, Pecola's mom when she's delivering. Uh, Pecola. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but just seeing that in writing, being like, wow, this is the same stuff. And I know that to be true. Like I read that book, Medical Apartheid, and they talk about it in there about, um, you know, the first doctor to like perform a C-section or not C-section. Um, anyways, the father of Marion, I think his name's Dr. Marion something. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the first doctor to like be a gynecologist and he practiced on slaves, black women. And he didn't give them any pain medication, even though they had it because he, you know, said that black women don't feel pain and all this stuff. And so this myth of like that black people are superhuman or that they don't feel pain. And even now, like there's all these articles and I'll link to some in the show notes about um, black women, black women, how they die in childbirth and how they're more likely to have complications because doctors don't take their pain seriously. Mm -hmm. And like all of this stuff in 2018 is on the front of the New York times and in the New York times magazine and whatever. And Toni Morrison was, you know, addressing it in 1970. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah that's definitely going to have to add that one to my, to my list. To, Medical part. Yeah. yeah. That, that's crazy. It's been, you know, out there for a while, but I, I need to get on it. Cause that's, that's so interesting to me that people view us in that way. Like that's, right. well, I mean, even Serena Williams, yeah. she talked about how, she almost died because they didn't believe that her, like, I think she had like a pulmonary embolism, like a um, blood clot that could have killed her. And they didn't believe her. And it's like, you don't believe that this woman knows what her body's supposed to feel like. Like she's one of the foremost athletes in the world. So is that, this is random, but is that something that they're dealing with, with like, do they have white doctors that are, so that's what I'm trying to figure out. Cause my doctor was a fellow African-American woman. So I didn't really deal, you know what I mean? With right. that type of, so I'm just wondering if it's the doctor that they it's have. the that, doctors. I don't think it's exclusively white doctors. I think it's other doctors of color that aren't necessarily black women, okay. but that this idea has like permeated um, medicine, not that it's necessarily said anymore, mm. but that people don't believe black women essentially. Wow. Um, and that their pain our pain isn't taken seriously or that people assume that we can handle more pain because of the quote unquote strong black woman trope, but that it, that 
um, rates of m- maternal demise. I don't know if that mm-hmm. right if that that's the right phrase, but women dying during childbirth or complications with childbirth is much higher in black women than it is in white women in this country. And like at a, at a, I can't, I don't know the numbers, but like at a much higher rate. Um, That explains a lot too. When you see these articles, just there was one the other day talking about black women and just how strong we are and how we can't have an outlet. Like we're expected to be strong mm -hmm. and be strong for the men and the children and everything. And it's like, we can't have anybody help us or you know what I mean like we just have to kind of take it and it's like we don't really have a voice yeah um so that there was an article that I read not too long ago but it makes sense like it's this goes further back than just yeah you know yeah totally well even saying that like having to be strong for the children and the men and this and that that's kind of like in the book when Pacola and the other girls go to the house that Mrs. Breedlove works in and they spill the pie and the little white girl comes in and she's crying and like Mrs. Breedlove can't even feel her full rage because she has to go soothe right. this other girl. Yep. And that's that same thing. It's like the burden of being a black woman is like having to take care of everyone else first yep. and then being the last one to get the attention or the time off or the break. Yeah, that whole scene made me mad. Especially the fact that this little baby's calling you Polly and yes. your daughter still calls you Mrs. Mrs. Breedlove. Breedlove. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, Polly. I'm like, what? Yeah. Totally. But then like that. So what Toni Morrison does, it's so great is you have that scene first mm-hmm. and then you hear the backstory of Mrs. Breedlove yes. and you understand that like her whole life, she, you know, like she got crippled at a young age. And so everyone kind of treated her delicately right. and like her husband, Choli or. Yeah, a, it's either Charlie, Charlie, I don't know, but we're yeah. having some discrepancy on yeah. how to say his name. But anyways, that he that he like saw her as a person. And so that's what made her like him. And then, you know, kind of fast forward to her working for this white family and that they were the first people to ever like give her a nickname. Mm -hmm. And like that, that was something important to her. Right. Yeah. She felt some, some, some type of way like validated by it. And so like when we heard it earlier, it was like, what the, this little baby's calling you Polly. Like, nah. But then when I, then when you see it later you realize that like that's something that was important like she wanted that right and she'd never been able to get it before right and I think that's one thing I loved about Morrison's writing is the fact that she would go back like we'd see something and then she'd go back and explain the history like oh, okay this happened and this is why that person's that way and it's like oh okay you can kind of connect the dots and like this is why you did that is because right of your life experience you behave And that was a running theme in the book is a lot of people were treated people the way that they were treated. It's what they knew. Right. So, yeah. And that, yeah, totally. And I mean, it's very clear that that's, I mean, like if you were going to distill the book down to one point, it's kind of that. It's like that you're treated, Mm -hmm. you treat others how you were treated. And she says at the end, like the last page, something about love and like love is not for the beloved it's for the person who's doing the loving Mm -hmm. and that you like a violent person loves violently a stupid person loves stupidly and you love as you are or as you know and that the gift of love is for the person doing the loving right and i just thought that was really interesting you know yep you think that. that it's like you're loving someone else is helping them but really you're just helping yourself yourself um, and yeah. that's why, you know, you have these relationships that are toxic yep. because the love languages don't yeah. match yeah. or 
some or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something. I think that's what she was getting at. But I mean, it's hard to dissect someone who's like so much smarter than you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I think that I get what you were saying, but I don't even. That's what I took from it. Like right. that there's so much there that a bunch of people could read the same book and take so many mm-hmm. different things from it, which is like. Yeah. Depending on what your life experiences are, too. You totally. Know? Yeah. Um, Eye opening. Yeah, I, I was I did a little research about the book. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the most challenged books, according to the American Library Association. Um, it made the top lists like in 2003, 2014, 2015, that people wanted to like basically ban the book. Wow. Like it was one of the most um, challenged books. And with alongside Native Son was one of the other ones. Um, I think Slaughterhouse Five or Catch Twenty Two. I can't remember. Um, but that this book has been banned, the bluest eye has been banned in like a bunch of different school districts wow. and that, you know, parents were mad that it was being assigned. And like, I get it cause it talks about rape and like child abuse and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But I also find it interesting that so many books that have been banned are books written by black women. Mm. That's um, a very good point. Yeah, it's like a lot of Toni Morrison, um, the new Jim Crow, like even, you know, modern day books written by black women. The Hate You Give give is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wonder, I don't know, where do you where do you think that that impulse maybe comes from? Uh, That's a tough one. It's just like this thing that's always been against us. I, I don't know if it comes from insecurity or just not wanting the truth to be told maybe i mm-hmm. i don't know where that comes from but yeah it's just like people don't understand there's so much you can learn from this stuff and it's like you're not even giving it a chance you know let let your child or whoever's reading the book let them decide like let them take from it what they do you know right. allow them that opportunity to be able to do that but yeah well, you're a mom, so let me ask you this, because I don't know. And your kids might be a little young for this question, but maybe imagine. <laughs> um, I feel like there are so many terrible things that happen to children that can happen to a child. Mm-hmm. For example, Pecola is raped by her father. Right. And I understand not wanting your child to know that that's a possibility if that's not something that happened to them. But then isn't, I I wonder about the other side of that, which is like, if other children are experiencing this, do you want your kid to know so that they can be more like empathetic or they can understand, you know, it's it's kind of a tricky balance. Right. right. I definitely agree that it's something that needs to be addressed. It's just how and how in detail do you go about that? Because you definitely want them to know that if this happens, speak out about it. Um, it, But again, how do you go across doing that? Or do you let them read stuff like that and kind of come up with their own thoughts about the situation? So for me, I definitely think it's a conversation that needs to be had how I would go about that, I right. have no idea. Um, but I think it's important because there's so many people that have been sexually abused and don't speak about it and just kind of keep it to themselves. And that's just, as a parent, it sucks. It's a sucky feeling that your child might not be able to, you know, feel right. comfortable to come to you about stuff like that. So I definitely think that it should be a conversation that needs to be had, but it's like, when, at when what point how, do you do that? Right. When do you do that? And do you want your school district deciding that for you? Right, right. But also, do you want your school district deciding for you that your kid has to read this book at a certain age? Right. I I mean, it's complicated. I think banning books 
in general is a ter- I mean, I actually think banning books is a terrible thing, period. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think that curriculum being decided should take into account like kids on their age? Mm-hmm. Sure. But banning it is like taking it out of the school library. Like, right. nah, you need to chill. There's with that. somebody that may be okay with their child reading that or whatever. So, right. Yeah. And like, it's Toni Morrison. Right. Like, don't, please don't remove her books right. from the library. What are you doing? It's against the law. Don't right. Do it. It's like, what are you What are you up to? Yeah. But it, I, I do think it's an interesting question because I wonder, like I know some people were assigned the bluest eye in school, in high school. And I just, part of me is like, yeah, kids should be reading this stuff because other kids might have gone through it. And like it helps to destigmatize and have these conversations around it. And right. also like it teaches people, like you don't know what's going on in that other person's life. Right. And even if it's not being raped by your father, which is like pretty much one of the most terrible things ever, even if it's just like, you know, getting picked on because you're darker skinned. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure there's tons of white kids who don't even know that colorism exists or that there's prejudice. You know, they might they might just see a black person, right. you know, or like, I don't know. I don't want to say just white people, but like an Asian person or a Latino person. Like, so I think this book brings up a lot of other really powerful things aside from sexual abuse. Absolutely. That it's too bad That's the whole the, book yeah. gets thrown out with these scenes that are also powerful and important. Yeah. But, you know, every parent, I guess, has their own feelings about their kids and their kids' readiness. I also wonder, and this is, might be a little bit off topic. Go but ahead. I love off topic. Like when let's say a white family adopts a black child. Mm -hmm. How are they having these conversations? You know, and I think this came up in our book club. Someone had posted asking for suggestions on books that, um, the mother could have her black child, adopted child read. And I was kind of, it was an issue for me because there was certain things that she didn't want to talk about or wasn't, didn't want to discuss. And, I'm like, but this is the reality of that mm-hmm. child. Whether you're their parent or not, they're still going to deal with this kind right. of stuff. So. It was something like she didn't want it to be too depressing or right. like have to deal with like race too much or something. Like right. It was like very... And I'm like, how you how do you have stipulations? We don't have like we don't get to, you know, define our lives and say, hey, this is a little too much. Like it if it happens, it happens like you just. So for her to put stipulations on what this child could and couldn't read, I'm right. like, no, this is a very real thing. Like, right. Whether this child reads this book or not, it's going to happen at some point. Exactly. They're going to need to know about it. So exactly. you're trying to put a filter on it. It's not working. Right. Yeah. Well, we talked about this a little bit on the episode with Jay when we talked about um, Between the World and Me by mm-hmm. ta Coates. Mm-hmm. We talked about, because Jay has a son, and I said, you know, the, ta- uh, let me back up. The book is written to Ta-Nehisi Coates' son, who I think is around 15 mm-hmm. at the time. Right. And I said to Jay, you know, would you give this book to your son to read at 15? And he was like, I mean, sure, but I assume that he would understand a lot more of it by then anyways because mm-hmm. he's a black man in America. So, like, some of this book seems so basic and inherent to me as a black woman. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure that if a, if a, you know, Korean woman read it, they would be like, oh, I had no idea. Well, even me as a black woman growing sure. up in the suburbs – I had no idea. This, right. These weren't conversations. Like, I mean, I grew up playing a white sport and being surrounded by white people all of the time. Sure. So a lot, this is why a lot of the stuff that I'm reading now is so eye opening to me because I just, I have no idea. So yeah, it's important to have, uh, people might not think of it that way, but it's like, they need to learn this right. stuff. Yeah. Right. I agree. I agree. I so give this to all your five-year-olds. It's fine. They'll be fine. Seriously. It's no big deal. They'll, they'll get it. It's no Christmas big deal. Christmas gifts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're like reading Dr. Seuss and like Tony Morrison. Yeah. Like, teacher, I'm going to do a book report on the bluest eye. Like, right. Timmy, you're seven. Relax. Really? <laughs> um, so we kind of 
touched on the major drama of the book, which is this rape. Pecola and her dad. Yeah. By, of Pecola by her father shortly after her period. I had to figure out if that was real. Like, in my head, I felt like it was a dream. Like, did this really happen or is yeah. she imagining it? I couldn't. Yeah. And I, as I read, it was like, this really happened. Well, they kind of tease it in the intro. Claudia, like, the intro's like, yeah, the baby died and Choli's gone and, like, sad. Um, and but, if I'm not mistaken, what he, how he started off in that situation was the same way that he did with the mom, right? Yes. The whole biting. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I was like, that was weird. Yeah. Well, he saw her, like, scratching her foot against her calf, yep. which I guess is what he saw the mother Mrs. Doing. Breedlove right. doing. Yeah. And, and then, it, like, the way that the scene is written is phenomenal. Because mm-hmm. it's all, it's like, she finds she strikes the balance between love and absolute just like disgusting mm-hmm. and she finds the a way to make you understand it even as you're like this is horrible my stomach hurts mm-hmm. and that's like not easy to do no because it's like it, i don't want to read this but i want to read right. it like i want to you know you're, i'm trying you're on to edge. figure it out yeah. but i also hate this because i know exactly where i'm going and this is my nightmare right and like that's the shit that I feel like is like, sure, Tony mm-hmm. Morrison, you're great. Yeah. Like, yep. not anybody can do that. Right. And like throughout the whole book, there's moments where it's like so judicious with language. And then sometimes it's really flowery and like mm-hmm. poetic. And she's really like taking you. Painting a picture. Yeah. It's taking beautiful. you on a journey. Yeah. Painting mm-hmm. a picture. Yeah. That scene that is scene. brutal. Yeah. Man. It was. And that's what part of it. I'm like, is this really happening? You know, right yeah. now? It's like. No way, no way. And I'm like, yeah, it's really happening. And and then like the mom hates the daughter more because of it, like because yeah. this fucked up relationship between sex and blackness and women. And you know, to tie it back to last week, Eloquent Rage by mm-hmm. Brittany Cooper talks a lot about like the church and black women and sex and the mm-hmm. relationship between those things. Mm-hmm. And like this book kind of brings that out in through these characters and the mom it brings the mom or the memory of the mom miss mrs breedlove sleeping with Choli, mm-hmm. and like did she because it was almost like they hated each other but then mm-hmm. you can come to this scene where it's like oh okay she's just trying to be quiet for the kids kind of thing it was right but yeah that that really painted a picture too because in my mind it's like she hates this guy like really but right it kind of shifted and and uh yeah that scene was interesting too right and, yeah. well, and the scene where Choli loses his virginity to the mm. girl after the funeral that one right there in the field and yes. then the guy oh man so they're in a field and he's losing his virginity to this girl they're like teenagers and it's after his great aunt's funeral who raised him so he's really sad and then these white hunters yeah. find shotguns them come, and yeah. they have like dogs and shotguns and they basically watch and they're like we want to watch you finish, yeah. essentially. They tried to stop, and he was trying to pull up his pants. He's like, no, finish. No, they're come like, on, finish, finish what boy. you're doing. Yeah, yeah. and they're, it's gross, and it's got all the fear of, like, a lynching is around yeah. the corner. And then I guess the dog finds an animal or yeah, something, and, and they they're run like, off. let's go. Yeah. And yeah. that scene, almost more so than the rape, because the rape was kind of set up earlier, that scene for me was like... <gasps> And the fact that he hated he he took all his anger out on the, on girl, the girl and not the white men like he's just like I don't like you like why did you know it was all her fault right. it was all her fault yeah 
and like that he carries that kind of like hatred of women with him right because what happens to you 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 carry it with you and that's like his thing that that sex is a bad thing and that there's like always a little fear i guess around it with him yep um and he's abusive to mrs breedlove and Mm-hmm. One of the scenes also in, I believe in her backstory is he like hits her or something in front of her white boss that she cleans for. Yes. And then the white boss is like, you need to break up with him. Yeah. And she's like, no, I can't, whatever. And the white lady's like, well, then you can't work here until you do. Until you do. Yep. And I'm not going to pay you the money that I owe you until you do. But like, you can come live here and like, let me help you, you know, show you what's right for you. All right. She's like, can't you just give me the money and then I'll go break up with him yeah. afterwards? Like, no. Nah. <laughs> but like to me, that moment felt very pertinent also because it felt like what is going on a lot right now in like feminism mm-hmm. with white lady feminism and like how that interacts with blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, the example that I it's not really feminism, but an example that's been top of mind for me is the Lana Del Rey and Kanye beef. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar no, with it? I- so, you know, Kanye has been acting a fucking fool right. <laughs> and like he's hanging out with Trump and it's my nightmare because yep. um, I love Kanye's music. But now I have to like, yeah. I can't even listen to it. It's all it. ruined. It's my nightmare. Yep. And obviously a lot of people are upset about it and like have had a lot to say. But Lana Del Rey decided to like take to Twitter to kind of bash Kanye, mm. which is like fine. But there's also a part of it that's like Lana Del Rey, where have you been when all these other white people have been acting a fool? Right. Like that's it's true. so now you easy speak up. Yeah. to attack a black person when they're mm, down. Good point. And it's like, it's just something that I've been thinking a lot about mm-hmm. that. It's like, there's this pile on the same thing. And, and Brittany Cooper talks about this in her book about when we talk about Bill Cosby, mm-hmm. like that he, it's easy for people to hate him but he's doing the same despicable stuff that so many white men have done yep. and not to excuse him at all. Um, but my feeling is that he and everyone else who has acted like that should be publicly shamed, mm-hmm. not just him. Right. Same right. thing with Kanye. Like I, it's not that Lana Del Rey is attacking Kanye. It's that where has she been when her own people You're have doing been that. doing the same garbage because Absolutely. 53% of white women voted for and supported Donald Trump. So I haven't heard her yelling at 53% of the women. Right. So that's kind of like, you know, that where have you been? Yeah. And that's that same thing in this book is it's like, it's so easy for this, this woman who Mrs. Breedlove works for to, to say, you know, he's so bad. And let me tell you how you need to live your life as a Mm -hmm. black person. But like, these are the same women who support, you know, the patriarchy and white supremacy that started by white men. Right. Like you're not stopping that, but right. You want to interject. You want to interject here and you want to put your stipulations and you want to micromanage my personal life. And like, if I show up and clean your house, I show up and clean your house. Like, give me my money. Don't get in my business. Bitch better have my money. (laughs) Like I just, so that kind of stuff is like where I'm like, this was written in 1970, but like it could have been written today because the same shit, the same white lady do good feminism thing. Did Lana have a response to that? I don't know if anybody backlash? I don't know if anybody backlashed her that hard. Uh, I don't know. I'm to be honest. To see how what she would say to that cuz really where were you? you right. Know? Like where were you with Roseanne? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good great you know? example. Like yeah. there are so many people who have said dumb shit. Mm-hmm. And like not to excuse Kanye's dumb shit cuz he that's does it all dumb the time. shit. That's, yeah. Like what are you doing, my guy? Right. Shut up and take that hat off. Yes. My God. 
You look ridiculous. Yeah. And read a book. He's killing it. Killing that hat. Yeah. I mean, it, the hat is like lost its And then meaning. wearing a Kaepernick uh, sweatshirt. Oh, he was? Yeah. He, there was bef- the time right before that or the week before he was wearing the hat in a Kaepernick sweat. Like it said his name, Kaepernick on the sweatshirt. I'm like, how are you wearing both of those at the same time? Complete opposite. They go against each other. Like, what are you doing? Trying to say you support this, but you support this too? Yeah, you can't support both things. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can, but you lose validity if yeah. you do. It's just... He's just dumb. He's dumb, and it's so sad because his music's so good, and I just wanted to be able to yeah. listen to it on my own he and is. be happy and groove out. a musical out. genius, but... Man. I know. But like, I just think that could have been president. You remember with that when he was like he was going to run? <laughs> he still probably is going to try to run. My nightmare. You do not have my vote. Right. Um, Can't even. Yeah, it's exhausting to me. (laughs) Um, But Lana Del Rey, come tell me what you think about my criticism. Seriously. (laughs) We want to know. The people want to. We want to know. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook, with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N 
Noom.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Okay, let's talk about the ending. So, well, we'll tie it in with the title. The okay. title of the book is The Bluest Eye. And in the end of the book, after, after she's been raped, after Pacola's yes, been raped. it is after. Mm-hmm. She goes to the town soothsayers slash crazy like, man, crazy con man. <laughs> His name is Soped Church. Yes. And sh- people go to him and like ask for help and advice and like fix my marriage. And mm-hmm. sh- Cola goes to him and says, I would like to have blue eyes. Yeah. And he's like, yo. <laughs> okay. He's yeah. like, I super can't do this. So what he does <laughs> is he gives her some dog food that's been poisoned and says, feed this to the dog that he hates. Mm-hmm. And if the dog, something happens to the dog, you'll get your blue eyes. Right. So the dog dies. And then she basically goes crazy because yeah. she doesn't know for sure if she has blue eyes or not. Yeah. And so there's this scene where she's talking to herself. Asking, How pretty are they? Like, yeah. Are they the bluest of the blue? And all? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't look at the sun. It hurts too much. And then the other part of her is like, I can look at the sun just fine. And, and you realize that like this is, she's gone crazy she's gone crazy and part of it is also because of the trauma she's sustained by being raped by her father Mm -hmm. and losing then she then gets pregnant and loses the baby um and everyone in the town is talking about her yeah and i think that's part of it is that she can't tell if people are talking about her and being nice to her because of her blue eyes or because of this trauma so she like goes crazy and like basically spirals out it's very sad yeah it's not an uplifting ending yeah it's one of those you had to take like a double take at the ending i had to reread it she talking yeah Yeah, i had no clue at first i thought she was talking to one of the sisters at first yeah she's having a whole conversation about these eyes like oh they're such pretty blue eyes like who are you talking to yeah right because it's confusing because sometimes it switches like because it's italic and then not and sometimes you think that you know who's talking and then yeah when i went back i was like oh I feel like maybe I read somewhere that that's what had happened. So then I went back and read it and I was like, I got it. Okay. But yeah. the book's so complex. Like I, I feel like this is a book that I could reread a few times mm-hmm. and still be unpacking. Yep. Cause yeah. So many hidden messages and things you need to think about or will make you think about rather. Right. And, and the book ends, ends, I believe with um, Claudia kind of talking about her realization that like, Everybody used Pecola. Nobody really loved her except for the prostitutes and possibly mm-hmm. Choli. Yeah. But that like his kind of love was, different, was yeah. toxic yep. and that he loved her the best that he could. Yep. And that there's it's what he knew. Yeah, yeah. It's what he knew. Treat exactly. People, uh, yep. That's the you treat that people theme. how you've been treated. Yep. Um, but yeah, that this ending is like realizing that her trauma is kind of the whole town's trauma and that yeah, everybody t- everybody spills on her. I mean, yeah. every from her part, she didn't have that. Well, like you said, there's like very few people that right. really, truly other than those prostitutes that really had her back. Even your mom, when you're, right. you're born and it's like, yeah, you're ugly. You're ugly. She's got some pretty hair, but and then Cla- uh, Geraldine's son who kill like tries oh, to rape that whole her. thing. I wanted to punch him. In and the then neck. kills a cat. Yeah, and then blames it on her. She did it. I'm right. Like, and the cat had the blue eyes. Yeah, that was so sad. Yeah. So, when what did you think of the title? I didn't know where that was going at first. And then in the beginning, 
they have a conversation, right? It's the two friends talking mm-hmm. about wanting the blue. So I was like, where is this going? Like, what what does it have to do with, you know, blue eyes? And it kind of made sense that this little girl's grown up feeling ugly. And this is the one thing that she feels like is going to change her life. Um so it made sense after reading, you know, the book. And this is what it boils down to is this is what makes her happy at peace, I guess. she right. Or she feels like it will. Like, or like the make one- people like her. Yeah. See her differently. It's kind of like just you saying that made me think of like Instagram, like models or whatever. Like the modern day version of this book is like a little girl on her Instagram seeing mm-hmm. all these like pretty skinny blonde girls with blue eyes instead of it being a baby doll but that they're like aspiring to, to be, be like that yeah these influencers yes yep. Fuck, they should make they should make it a modern day bluest eye they should i mean it's all Someone the same shit it. it's all the same stuff from when the book was written and i believe the book takes place before the 70s like right. i believe it's like the 40s or 50s but it's all the same stuff mm-hmm. then that we're dealing with now it's just on an iPhone. Right. Or, you know, on Different a movie form. screen mm-hmm. or whatever. But it's the same, like, media saturation of, like, beauty Aspiring and value. to be something else. Yeah. Yeah. When will we learn? Maybe never. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you you behave the way that you've been treated. And, like, black women get treated like shit still. So, like, I don't see it changing until that, that changes. Right. Which, and I see a lot of people that... I've talked to, you know, even just the color of their skin. I've, because I didn't grow up, you know, dealing with that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So to hear other women say, yeah, I was teased because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, really? Like growing up feeling insecure because you're a shade, something you have no control over. Right. And I think that was another thing that was talked about in the book is that people hated and picked on Piccola because of something that she had zero control right. over. Nothing to do with it's her. Like you hate this girl, call her ugly and don't want to be friends with her she didn't ask to be this way. Like mm-hmm. this is just what it was. And people couldn't see that. They just right. saw an ugly girl and that's, you know, she was the butt of all jokes. Right. See, this is why we need kids to read this book so that they know yeah. to be nicer to people. Right. Just be nice to her. <laughs> and she doesn't need to have blue eyes and go crazy. That's it. Yeah. It's sad. Well, is there anything? Well, I guess normally we cast the movie. Do you have any mm. people that you could think of being in it? Wow. It's kind of hard because it's children, children actors, right? and I don't so know that many. You... The only kid I know for sure is Diane from Blackish. She could be a good one. Who I feel like she would be Claudia. Claudia? Yeah. I was, that's what I was like. Yeah, you definitely need her be as Claudia. Claudia. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't really know. Like, I, like, Googled around for some kids, and I saw some, like, little black girl actresses, but, like, I don't know them from anything. Yeah. Like, I just know, like, you know. Um, I'm sure there are some. Maybe our amazing listeners will send their ideas of who they would cast. Yeah. Um, even down to the prostitutes, like all the different yeah, characters. There's so, do. I mean, that's the other thing. It would be like a total black excellence film mm-hmm. because you could, I mean, I, like, of course there's a part in it for Regina King. There's a part in it for Octavia Spencer. Like what you think is Choli. I had a really hard time with that. Maybe someone creepy like Terrence Howard or somebody. Cause oh, he can play. A- but I feel like he's too old. What about, do you watch Atlanta? Yes. What about Paper Boy? Paper yeah. Boy. Paper, Paper, yeah. Paper Boy. He's a really good actor. <laughs> yeah, that would he be He might a good be a good trolley because he's kind of, because like they're young parents. Right. Like they're, they couldn't be much older than 35. Right. Yeah, back um, in the, that day they were popping them out. Well, and I, I'm pretty sure that Trolley and 
and uh, Mrs. Breedlove, Polly, got together pretty young right. too. They did. Um, so yeah, like these are these are twenty thirties, not. Yeah. Terrence Howard's too old, but yes. Yeah. In an earlier someone version, like him, but totally. Yeah. Totally. He yeah. has that he plays that creepy bad guy kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, mm. he does play that bad guy. I know. I, I, I was having a hard time coming up with people, but yeah, Trolley definitely has to be someone who has like the darkness in them. Yeah. Like a Danny Glover on color purple. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Ugh, so good. Um well, do you have anything else that you want to talk about from this book? I think we covered most of it. Um, the the only thing I want to talk about maybe is Soaphead. Oh yeah, his where his backstory. Who was he? Because they talked about his him growing up, right? Who yeah. were his parents? I was confused uh, he, at that. I think his parents were were just, just random. Yeah, people? I don't think okay. he was connected like through relations. Was to he anybody. mixed? though no no okay so i think he was fair-skinned that's what it was then yes yeah okay he was fair-skinned um and he was gay and then he to fight that he molested little girls that's right the church girls yeah wasn't it yeah and they yeah and he was trying to he he was having a conversation with god was it yeah like trying to justify justify. he like wrote a letter about about what he did to Pecola and also justifying the girls by being like, if they didn't like it. They wouldn't come back kind of right. thing. Yeah. And like, it was really weird. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's <laughs> that. Yeah. Cause he was kind of a creeper. Total too. creeper. There was a bunch of creepers. Totally. A bunch of them. Um, it's a good book. Yes. Read it. If you haven't, if you made it this far, we just spoiled everything about the book. So sorry, yeah. but you should still read it. We're not doing nearly as good of a job as Toni Morrison does. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's such a short book. Like the economy of language, like writing this short little piece of like power mm-hmm. is really impressive. Yeah. I'm always impressed when books are short and really good. Yes. Um, well, good. all right. Thank you for being here. No I'm so problem. glad you came on and talked about this book with us. Yes. And we'll be back next week with oh, a special guest. <laughs> Yay. All right. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you in the stacks. Okay, okay, okay. That does it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you to our guest, Renee Hicks of Book Girl Magic. I also just want to say thank you one more time to all of you for supporting the show over these last few months. I couldn't imagine having a better community of listeners and readers. For those of you celebrating, I wish you the happiest of holidays. And for those of you who are not, just have a great, wonderful rest of your week. Remember, you can support the show by being a member of the Stacks Pack, and you can join us for our virtual book club discussion of the bluest eye by just going to patreon.com slash the Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music comes from Tegirigis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I'll see you all in the Stacks.